What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. We got Mike Lanana and John Manuel here on Selection Monday. We've already uh, addressed some of this, uh, but now we're going to go dive a little bit deeper into into the field that was released today. We, we have a, a field of 64. The tournament is upon us. Uh, we no longer have to, to wonder or speculate. Uh, we, we've got it. And, you know, it, it's an exciting time of year. I thought the committee had a it was a difficult job for the committee, but I think it ultimately ended up being pretty straightforward, Mike. Um, you know, I, I know some people are upset about the, the hosting spot with uh, Clemson and Virginia, and then there's the uh, decision to leave Miami out. They were the, the first team left out, the only team we got wrong on our projections last night. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, what, what, what did you think of uh, what the committee did here? Well, hey, first of all, go us. As you said, that was the only one we got wrong of the 64, so... 63 out of 64 ain't bad, but yeah, you know, I, I feel as though the committee did a good job for the most part. I thought it was a, a, a fairly fairly good job compared to the past couple of years. Obviously, we didn't disagree with them on much of anything. You know, I do think, and I've tweeted a lot about this, and I, I think it's kind of the common feeling that Virginia should be hosting over Clemson, and I do still that, feel that way. You know, Virginia is getting a really tough draw here. They're announced as the, the number two seed in the, the Fort Worth Regional, you know, against the national seed in, in TCU. And that's equally a tough draw for TCU, getting Virginia as the number two seed, a team that, that should or at least has a hosting-esque resume. So that, that was really the only area where I had problems with the committee. But otherwise, you know, Miami not getting in, I could see it either way. We were on the fence about that ourselves. We were, we were unsure. We ultimately decided to put them in, but you know, you could make a case for them to be out just as easily. So I have really no qualms with what they did. What about, uh, I think you did point out a good one, Mike. Virginia, not just not being a regional host, but being sent to TCU. Yeah. I mean, they're being sent to a national seed. Would that be solved, guys, if they seeded them 1-16? to 16? It feels like they could just go ahead and seed them 1-64 to 64 if they really wanted to. I, I don't know that's not... 
prescribed currently, but if, why stop at 16 if you're going to see 1 to 16? Let's go ahead and see it all the way to 64. Yeah, I don't know that 1 to 16 would solve this, um, but I generally agree that I don't know why anybody wants 1 to 16. I, I want 1 to 64. Like, what is what is the point of 1 to 16, really, if we're not going to go 1 to 64? And I, I know that would cost more money, um, and I don't know how much more money it would end up costing, but like it, I, I think it would be worth it, ultimately. I mean, the committee chairman, Scott Sidwell, said it was a razor-thin margin between Virginia and Clemson, and that's fine, um, but then why is why is Virginia being sent to a national seed? Why... And, you know, and, and he mentioned that that was asked of him, and, and it, you know he talked about travel restrictions and various things like that. And obviously, he would know better than I uh, what they what they are. But like I, you know, why can't they be in? I mean, there are other places they could be sent besides TC. Right. The problem for EVA feels like they're not really close to anything in terms of like a a big airport. You know, they're cl- they, they're yeah, they're close to DC. They're going to bust there, but then once you're there, you can fly anywhere from Washington, D.C. So once you're making them fly, if you're not busting the UVA, once you're making them fly, fly them wherever. Because that's actually probably going to be cheaper to have them fly than other teams fly. And I think that's part of this. Part of it, I do believe, is cost containment. I don't think that's what they're doing. I don't think they're sitting there on Travelocity (laughs) as their, or pick whatever travel uh, app you want to use. I don't think they're sitting there on some travel app pricing all this, but I do think they have teams in buckets of if we're going to fly these t- this team, this team can fly anywhere uh, versus this, this other team. Again, like if you're Oregon State, you're flying, so you're going to fly anywhere. If they're not gonna, so what was it a couple of years ago? They went to DBU's regional, right? I mean... I mean, if you look at like Arizona, they're kind anywhere. of in this the, you know, Arizona's in this this middle of nowhere. Right. Like if they if they aren't going But Texas Tech is the one place right. they can go. Exactly. And you know if they hadn't sent them there that you know they're that's another team that could be like that. And Virginia you wouldn't think is like that, but when we look at hosts, basically they're only close to ACC schools and they can't get sent there. Right. And then I, I mean I, I guess the other option would have been sending them to Kentucky. And they chose to make that a basketball regional. No offense Tony Bennett, but they made that a basketball, <laughs> at least a historical basketball regional. With Kentucky and Indiana, they went and, for the rivalry. And there's that rivalry, and also they did send an ACC team there as their three seed in North Carolina State. So maybe you could. I, I do think it's a tough puzzle for them to put together, but that's one that it seemed like they should have spent a little bit more time on not sending UVA to, to TCU. That one, I don't. I don't. I think UVA has no one but itself to blame for not being a, a host. Just a little bit of an upgrade in their non-conference schedule. This is not the first time this is this message has been sent by different baseball committees to Brian O'Connor. Uh, but, of course, a lot, couple times they've been on the road for regionals. They were sent out west, and both of those worked out very well. 2009, they got sent out to Irvine for that regional, and they beat. They had to face Steven Strasburg in game one, and they beat him. And then 2015, they got sent out to Lake Elsinore. Remember when everyone said, oh, no way they'll put a regional in Lake Elsinore. They put a regional in Lake Elsinore, as we said they would. It went well, as we said it would. And then UVA went out and won it with three other West Coast teams. And then won the whole thing. And then they went, they went out and won the whole doggone thing. So I don't hear too much from the West Coast fans anymore after that one, where they're always like, oh, I'll let these East Coast teams come out West and play at a regional. Well, Virginia did it and went out there and won it. I think they're very dangerous in this regional, guys, because I know DBU's played well, but TCU's damaged. Uh, they've been a little damaged for a long time, but Luke and Baker out of their lineup, I think that's a, I think that's a big deal. So Yeah. 
I don't know if Virginia's pitching is uh, perfect, but I think Virginia's in great shape to go on this road. They, they've gone on the road and won regionals in the past. Wouldn't shock me if they went on the road and won this regional. I have them as my pick. Uh, I went through and just made a brief, brief round of picks, and I have, I have them coming out of that regional. I haven't done picks yet, but I probably will as well. I think I'm leading myself as a witness already with this uh, in this one. Uh, Teddy, what else struck you? Um, you, know, you and I already talked about this a bit on Facebook Live. We didn't go kind of region by region. Whichever one of the regionals struck you as really competitive fields, whether they're going to be very tough. I really like this uh, this Tallahassee regional with uh, Florida State, Central Florida, and Auburn, uh, and then Tennessee Tech is the four. Um, you know, like I mentioned on the on the Facebook Live, I think it's going to be very offensive. Uh, but you know, when, when you look at Tennessee Tech and Florida State, what they can do offensively, you got Central Florida, which is a, a very experienced team, and then Auburn. You know, with those two starters, Keegan Thompson and Casey Mize at the at the front of this rotation, you know, they can they can beat anyone. And uh, so I think any of those top three teams really can come out of Tallahassee uh, with, with the with a regional win there and and. You know, I, Florida State's playing really, really well right now. But you know, those those two teams can—they're not going to be scared going into Tallahassee, and, and they're going to be ready for it. And uh, you know, if Florida State can find a way to win outside of Louisville, um, you know, they're they're obviously going really good. But they're not going to have an easy time of it this weekend. So much of this depends on matchups in these regionals, guys. I mean, like Mike, you know, if you're Auburn for sure, Thompson and Mize, you 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 just you know, you're going to see which one of those is the better matchup against Florida State, I think, and then you're going to throw the other one in UCF. Because, I mean, I know you have to win that first game, but you have to feel confident that either Mize or Thompson can beat UCF because they're your guys. They're kind of your co-aces. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one you think is a better match for Florida State, if you have an opinion. Obviously, Teddy can weigh in. But I, just in general, I'm curious as to which of these teams will hold. If you have a definite AC Auburn has two. Mm-hmm. But if you have one definitive ace, like North Carolina is an example, mm-hmm. for me, I don't think you need J.D. Bukowskis to beat Davidson. No. And that's no offense to Davidson, which I just wrote about today, and has 70 home runs and has some some real power. So North Carolina is probably going to, I would imagine, you would throw Luca Delatri in that game, and then you would throw Bukowskis against Florida Gulf Coast or Michigan. That's just how I would do it. I'm not saying how they're going to do it. Or, again, if you're Oregon State, you have three aces, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you just—I don't think you need to play the matchups if you're Oregon State. You play the rest, and when you put your starters, what you think is the best position to win. So I don't know how you would handle that specifically, like in Auburn's case, or if there's a team out there, yeah. uh, that, like like South Carolina, if they were in, they don't have it in. I'm trying to think of a team that has one definitive ace, like like UCLA. Would you yeah. throw Griffin Canning against Texas, or would you hold him and say, if we're going to win this whole thing? We need Canning. We need to win the first game and then have Canning against Long Beach State. How do you handle that philosophically for some of those teams, specifically though for Auburn? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it depends on the situation. For Auburn, you have, I think because you have co-aces there, I don't think you have to fret quite as much about it just because you go either or. It might be more just because both of them had their health issues this year. Maybe you go with who's a little fresher. Yeah. I, I think Unfortunately, that could, that they pitched on the year. exact same day yeah. at the SEC tournament, so that will not be... Uh, who has the better bullpen? Yeah, I mean, just whoever. I mean, it could just still just be on who's feeling better and who's feeling sharper, but I think that's an advantage for Auburn. I think looking at this field, they're one of, if not the strongest, number three seed 
in this field just in terms of what they've done this year. They went out earlier this year and swept Florida, so they're going to be, you know, they're not going to be intimidated by Florida State by by any means. I, I think they have as good a chance to win that that regional as, as anyone else in that field. Like to me, the, normally I would think you want to throw a left-hander against Florida State. Yeah. Just in my own head, but this year I think at Florida State, I mean, it's a very balanced lineup. It's a balanced lineup. That's the thing. I mean, like and Busby. Yeah. Busby's hot right now. I mean, a lefty would theoretically neutralize a bit of Jackson Luke and Drew Mendoza, but me, Porty, and Bundy, they're, they're really balanced right in the middle. That's their two through five. Yeah. It's two right-handers, two left-handers, and then, of course, you have switch hitting Taylor Walls. That's one of the reasons why. Cal Raleigh. Yeah, well, they have four switch hitters at, Henderson, at a time. Yeah. Flowers, I think. Which Flanner, it, Flowers, right-handed. Yeah, well, the, that's one of the reasons why we like Florida State coming so much into this year is because yes. they had that lineup that was that, was that deep and that had up to four switch hitters depending on who they played. You know, it's a, it's a very difficult lineup to pitch to. You know, that matched with, obviously, you know, Mike Martin's hitting principles and just the, the kind of teams that you see at FSU, high on base percentage, really grinded out kind of teams. And then, obviously, we also like them because they brought back their entire weekend rotation, which right. that more or less hasn't – sometimes that's worked, sometimes it hasn't been a good thing. But Tyler Holton's been very good. Yeah, especially of late, uh, you know. But I like, you know, I like the way Auburn matches up pitching wise in that regional. And you know, you mentioned UCLA in the Long Beach regional as far as whether or not they should go with Canning. I would probably just go with Canning in that first game against Texas personally. I, that, that's what I would do because it's that's still a you know a that's premium a matchup. Yeah, yeah, it's it, if you know if you're the number one seed against the number four seed, maybe don't go with your ace. But I think. If you're in that situation, you have to play to win that day and figure it out later. I mean, that's course, how I would approach it. Of course, the thing is, John Savage might just try to keep Canning out there for both games. That's a joke about how much John Savage uses Griffin Canning, but it's just a little wink and a nudge. I, I know that Coach Savage would not do that. But, <laughs> I mean, he does use Griffin Canning for a long... He, when Griffin Canning comes in, he doesn't always come out. He's, <laughs> he is... How many CGs has he got? I just have it right here. He's got four complete games. So, he's... Not used as much. He's not used as much as Davidson used uh, Doolin Olinger or whatever the guy's name is, uh, who threw three times in the uh, Atlantic 10 tournament this weekend for 236 pitches. But um, he's going to use, once he's in there against Texas, he's not coming out, Teddy. How, how would you, how do you philosophically approach that when you have one true ace? Do you want to hold him for the Saturday or do you want to use him Friday if you think you need to use him? I mean, I definitely understand the idea that game two of a regional is the most important game. So I, I get um, holding your ace, uh, especially the one seeds that hold their aces, uh, but the two seeds as well, um, or, or threes. Um, but I, I generally think that, you know, it it doesn't you need somebody else to step up and win a game at some point. Exactly. It can't just be one pitcher. So whether you throw that guy on Friday or you throw that guy on Saturday, somebody else has to win a game for you for this to matter at all. So you've got to be comfortable with that guy, that number two guy, pitching a very important game, whether that's Friday night or Saturday night. You know, you're going to need somebody else. It can't one pitcher is not going to get you through a regional. Right. So you know, I, I think most of the time, I would lean towards just throwing them on Fridays. Um, but you know the you, you've got to you've got to figure out how you can win uh, a game without your ace on the mound before you get to Sunday when you can theoretically just bash your way to a title. That's so you get to beat somebody good without your ace at some point. 
to win a regional. That's usually how these how these things happen. There's just some little weird tweaks with this one, with this uh, whole regional field. I, I guess I don't know if I'd call it a weird tweak, but we do have a decent amount of uh, big conference teams as number three seeds as well. NC State, Texas A&M, yep. Maryland, uh, Oklahoma State, which you know, definitely deserved a three seed. You can make an argument for a four. Yep. Um, the three seeds kind of are all over the place, guys. I mean, uh, St. John's and all their wins. The committee chairman <laughs> cited wins as the reason that BYU got it. Hey, they got 42 wins for St. John's, I should say. Not BYU. Uh, I don't know what you guys thought. The three seeds are kind of all over the place. Uh, yeah, well, looking at NC State specifically, I think in that regional, Teddy and I both thought this, that they should have been the two seed in that regional with Indiana as the number three seed. Hmm. I think I think it's a really tough uh, I think that's a tough draw for Kentucky, actually. I mean, the way North Carolina State's playing, obviously didn't do so hot against UNC in the ACC tournament. But the 10 run inning was not yeah. uh, the way to go there. It's not the way to go. It's not how you win a game. But in general, they've been playing better of late, and I think they're a good matchup there. I think that could be a, a very offensive regional with those two teams, two really balanced lineups. NC State has to be one of the better threes. I think they do have the best RPI of any of the threes. Yeah. Um, I was surprised. Like, I'm not surprised they're a three necessarily. I thought they were very much on the cut line of whether they were a two or a three. Um, we'd had the, I had them as a two yesterday, but they were the last two at that point. Um, and I had Indiana as a three. Um, but it's a straight RPI move to make Indiana a two. So I get that. Drink. <laughs> I tweeted that today. Drink with Teddy says RPI. Straight RPI move, that's a phrase. There were a lot of those. They, that's what the committee did. And uh, Scott Sidwell, the committee chair, said that they don't, you know, that they didn't think that it was just one tool in their toolbox. It wasn't the biggest one or whatever. But if you look at it, it looks, it sure looks like it was the biggest one. Now, it doesn't mean that it was their only one, but it, it does look like it was their biggest one. If you have a question about how something happened in this field, it, it probably can be answered by looking at the RPI. Um, but yeah, I, I think that um, there are. The, the threes got a little weird when the bids started getting taken away by the uh, upsets right. in the conference tournaments. Yeah. The three, you, you saw more you know, teams get forced up from the four line. Yale is a three. Bethune-Cookman is a three. Uh, usually the Ivy League and the MEAC don't get three seeds. Um, you know, kudos to Yale and Bethune for producing the RPIs that meant they could be threes. But, you know, when you see... The, that kind of stuff happening is as a result of the, um, you know, the, the way the conference tournaments played out, and the fact they had to jam six teams into the field that they weren't really planning on putting in. One other question that I had, I mean, we, I mentioned it with St. John's. I mean, Teddy, you were on the conference call with committee chair, chairman Scott Sidwell, correct, uh, and his friends, Sidwell friends, <laughs> an easy pun to make. Um, but he did, he cited that a couple times. Number of wins. St. John's with 42 wins gets in. Miami with 30 wins. 29 against Division One teams, which he cited, does not get in. Um, let's let's talk about those two teams real quick, and specifically like the, the contrast between them. I guess we could throw in one of the other first four out if you wanted to in UConn. Um, the critique of St. John's is one top 50 win. Not that many top 100 games that they played. Uh, I guess it's specifically it's 16 top 100 games. They were 11 and five in those top 100 games. Miami, meanwhile, 20 and 23 against top 100 teams. Um, 
it seems like they, they cited wins, that St. John's had a lot of wins. A lot of those wins were on the road. Were you surprised by his answer there that he cited quantity and not quality? That seemed like a little bit of a departure from I, the committee. I definitely was. Like He noted that they have more than 40 wins and that every team in the country with more than 40 wins is in the field. And you know that's great and all. 40 wins is a, a nice accomplishment. It's a nice round milestone. But if I was going to defend St. John's, I would point to the fact that they have 25 wins away from campus and that they played uh, you know, 32 of their uh, 40 or uh, 53 games were away from campus. Like that, that's where I would be looking to defend St. John's. Um, in addition to their superior RPI to, to Miami or UConn. Yeah, 32 games away from home. That's a lot. That's a lot. And they only lost seven of those. 25 and seven away from home is impressive, no matter I, who you're playing. Yeah, I don't care so much that they have 42 wins because when you play as many bad teams as <laughs> they do, and I'm not faulting them for that, that's A, a product of their conference, and B, where they are located and you know what Northeastern RPI team or what Northeastern teams are in, in, in terms of RPI, like – I get that, but I, I would focus. I would be more focused on the fact that they went on the road, which the committee likes it when you do that, typically, uh, and they performed well on the road, whether it was in neutral site tournaments or actual road games. What, what's interesting to me about that argument with St. John's, the argument that they made, is that the exact case could be made for Virginia versus Clemson as far mm. as Virginia having a weak non-conference strength of schedule. And they also they also have forty two wins. Clemson just says thirty nine wins. It it seems like there's some contradiction there in terms of just their their reasoning. You know, with St. John's, it wasn't the it was just the number of wins. It wasn't the weak strength of schedule that really came into it there. I will say the other thing they really noticed noted with with St. John's is that um, they were far and away, according to Sidwell, the number one team in the East Region from the Regional Advisory Committee. And I think that he, if he got a chance to re-answer that question, I, I would have to think he would put a little more emphasis on the Regional Advisory Committee because I think that ultimately weighed pretty heavily is that the coaches out there were telling them, like, this is the best team in our region, and they wanted to get that team into the tournament. You really wish them some, the, the, the committee chairman matters. And this is one of the places where that person matters the most is communicating what happened in that room publicly, especially to coaches, So, because it affects scheduling. It affects how the game is played and handled down the line. And if it really was just wins, if that's the message they want to go out, you're going to stop seeing Miami play Florida tomorrow. Miami, then why, why would Miami go play Florida every year in non-conference? Those aren't wins. <laughs> Even when Miami's good and Florida's down, those aren't guaranteed wins. Of course, Miami has been owned by the Gators of late. But all you're going to do if you send that message out, you're going to put a chill on non-conference scheduling. Because for years, the message has been schedule aggressively the non-conference. And you're back-to-back. If I were an ACC coach at the ACC meetings, I would schedule nobody. Like, you do have this contradiction that Virginia just lost out on a regional yeah. hosting but last year, North Carolina scheduled like the Dickens in non-conference, did make the conference tournament, and, and didn't get in. And this year, Miami didn't schedule great, but they didn't play Florida, 
and their non-conference basically losing that series to, to I mean, Dartmouth. Miami has, them, right? I mean, Miami has the fifth strongest strength of schedule overall and the 14th in non-conference, and they didn't get in. So it's it's just They're a, just going to make it weaker because they didn't yeah. win enough. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the message you're sending. So if that's the message that the committee intends to send, well, then Scott Sidwell did a great job of communicating that. But reading the transcript... I can't tell if that's what he wanted to send or not, but that's the message that he sent, Teddy. And almost like they need to do a signing statement, the rest of these guys <laughs> on the committee, and clarify what this guy said. Because I don't think he did an effective job of communicating unless he really just wanted to say 40 wins good, less than 40 wins bad. Yeah, I mean, the 30 and 27 mark that Miami has it's is extreme. It is not good, no doubt about it. Um, and, you know, I. The 40 wins that St. John's has is 42 wins that St. John's has is an awful lot, and I, I think we're looking at two like extreme cases here. Yes. But we like you would like to hear a little more consistency coming out of that room uh, because, like you said, it does it does affect things. You know, when they alter the RPI uh, formula, that alters how coaches schedule. When they make yeah. road wins more valuable, they go on the road more. When they make Neutral site games more valuable. They are willing to more willing to play in these tournaments than than they had been before, and so all of that stuff does matter. And you know, I I don't know if anyone will really change their schedule based on one year, but if this becomes a thing that um, you know the committee starts talking about more often, like it definitely will change how things go. I have a question on on the Twitter machine from an old friend of mine, Trip Tepper. Uh, Tepper wants to ask, who's the most dangerous number four seed? Tennessee Tech, Illinois, Chicago, and is there Stony Brook in the field? Um, I don't know if we can call St. John's a Stony Brook because they're kind of a bigger deal, at least historically, but they certainly haven't been recently because mm-hmm. they have been to Omaha. But is St. John's the Stony Brook? I mean, that is a regional. That looks like a winnable regional for St. John's. Vanderbilt is. Very good this year. I certainly wouldn't want to be Vanderbilt. I mean, uh, St. John's have to face Kyle Wright in game one. Um, and there's some, some nice ties there. Uh, Tim Corbin was once an assistant at Clemson and uh, now goes takes Vanderbilt back to Clemson. Of course, Jack Legg is no longer there. But, and St. John's. Oh, he'll Scott, be there. Oh, he'll be there for sure. <laughs> Scott Brown, he'll be, wearing, he'll be rooting for Vanderbilt. Um, Maybe. But St. John's, uh, Scott Brown, the pitching coach at Vanderbilt, came from St. John's. So... I'm not sure what UNC Greensboro's ties are there, but Link Jarrett does have a very offensive ball club um, at UNC Greensboro. That feels like a very wide open regional where the two big name schools are not playing great. Um, and neither St. John's. They didn't win the Big East tournament. They, sh- they should have, and they didn't. Um, the, I, to me, St. John's is the, the Stony Brook, the Northeast team that could win, that could get to Omaha. But who's your favorite? Who's your most dangerous four seed? I'll start with you, Mike Manana. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, that that was kind of a weird segue there, but I was going the McLaughlin group on you. Yeah, there there are a couple that I'd point out. You know, I think I think Iowa could be an interesting number four seed in that Houston regional, just because I mean the you know the fighting Jake Adams, Cake the, the, Adams, yeah, the just the the power there in that lineup, and obviously winning the Big Ten tournament. I think they could be a danger. I don't have them winning that regional, but I think they could be better than some people think. Uh, you know, looking around, Illinois Chicago is interesting to me. Just because they won a series against Vanderbilt earlier this year. They're a team that shouldn't be overlooked. And then you know, Tennessee Tech, obviously, uh, which was mentioned in that in that tweet there. I mean, they're they're a powerful club. Although I just have a hard time seeing a team not named FSU, Auburn, or UCF winning that regional. 
Yeah, I think Iowa is the best four here, um, and I think they have a very real chance at winning that regional. Um, again, I said this in the Facebook Live, I don't quite know how their power is going to play. Houston ballpark, I feel like, is built a little more for speed. Maybe I'm off on that. It's um, exactly the same dimensions as the San Diego State ballpark. They're built at the same time by John Moore's and all his money. So Tony Gwynn Stadium, I think it's John Moore's stadium at University of Houston, if I'm not mistaken. He's an alum, and he built both ballparks. I've been to both, and they're, they are carbon copies. So I don't, I, of course, San Diego State has the, uh, the, marine, has layer. the marine layer, which you don't have at, uh, in Houston. Houston does have turf, and maybe that's part of the reason why I think it plays fast. But you know, if Iowa can get its bats going in that regional, I think they've got a, a very real chance. I like Illinois-Chicago as a team. I absolutely hate that matchup for them. Um, Southern Miss... Mississippi State, that's going to be a very offensive regional, and Illinois-Chicago is all about pitching. And so if they can find a way to contain those bats, you know, they can win that, but containing those two teams' hitters is much easier said than done. Um, you know, USC ranks very highly in all sorts of national pitching categories, uh, but I think that regional just is going to turn into a slugfest and they won't be able to keep up. You, you piqued my interest with Greensboro because they really can't hit. They're fourth in the country in batting at 325. Um, that's a very offensive club, and Florida State is an offensive ballpark. That, that, and it feels like Florida State is always susceptible to an upset in regionals. In recent years, they really have been. They, was there a 0-2 in there recently for Florida State, or was it a 1-2 regional? So I know they lost to a four seed in recent years, one or the other. Forgive me for uh, not knowing that ahead of time. But it feels like they've been a little bit vulnerable in their – Regionals at home, I say kudos to the Seminoles for going to the ACC tournament because the last for going to Louisville the last ten days and winning six straight games. Um, feels like UNC Greensboro is dangerous there though. They're eighteenth in the country in runs. Well, you mean well Tennessee Tech is there. Greensboro's in Clemson. I'm yeah, sorry, Greensboro's in Clemson. Tennessee yeah. Tech and Florida State. I'm merging these two, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like Greensboro is very offensive and a, a, I would say a wide open regional. And Tennessee Tech is also very offensive. 90 home runs, leads the country in an offensive ballpark. Those two four seeds strike me as being in decent matchups, I guess, Teddy. Yeah, and I mean, like we've talked about with uh, the Clemson Regional, it's a bit wide open. Um, you know, anything can happen uh, when, when we look at those teams. And, you know, Florida State is going to have its hands full with Tennessee Tech. They're going to probably have to throw Tyler Holton in that game. Well, I don't know. They've got cool stands, too. I, one of those two is going to pitched in that, that game against Tennessee Tech are going to really have to contain an offense that is explosive, and then they'll, you know, they'll have, if they win that game, they'll have to deal with, with Auburn or UCF, but you know, if Tennessee Tech's able to steal that, that one game and turn that whole tournament into a slugfest down there, um, you know, it, anybody's guess as to who comes out of Dick Hauser. I think the team you might be thinking of is Florida State that upset them a couple years back. Uh, they lost to Alabama. Um, that in the like Tallahassee a, that Regional. Like a, yeah. that, that was in 2014. Uh, in 2015, College of Charleston played them really tough. I don't, yeah, I don't think they lost to Alabama State last year. No, they did not lose to Alabama State. That did State. not happen. So. No. It just feels like, but it feels like they have been somewhat... I, I still would rather play at home if I'm, if I'm Florida State. Uh, I was very impressed by the way they charged through the uh, ACC tournament. They were my preseason pick to win the national title. I think they were yours too, Mike. No, I picked TCU. You picked TCU? Was they, uh, they I were, picked Florida. Okay, so we all had three different picks. 
I don't feel great about my pick, my preseason pick, <laughs> even though they're playing well. I feel better about Florida State now than I did any other time this year. How do you feel about your preseason pick in Florida, Teddy? It feels like Florida is playing close to its best, non-16-0 drubbing by Arkansas category. Yeah, I'm still riding that. Um, you know, they, they definitely are playing very well. The, the way they closed uh, to go out and win the SEC title – uh, was very impressive, and you know they're they're going to carry. This is the way they're playing now is basically what we expected them to be doing at the start of the year. Pretty similar to, to Florida State. Both of those teams have kind of found their way. Um, you know, maybe Florida State isn't pitching quite as well, but the lineup is finally producing the way we thought it would, and and I think Florida is producing at, at an overall level the way we thought they would. And if they uh, are able to get healthy, which it, it looks like they're they're just about there. Dalton Guthrie was taking some BP. He didn't play at the SEC tournament, but he was taking right. BP. And if he's back, they're at full strength uh, going into the, the NCAA tournament. I, I still think they are among the most dangerous teams in the country. How do you feel about your TCU pick, Mike? You know, I'd feel a lot better about it if Luke and Baker was okay. <laughs> I, I, I would feel better about it. You know, I actually think, as I talked about earlier, I actually picked Virginia to come out of that that regional. Yes, yes, Virginia. So I'm not feeling as good about it. I mean, I certainly would never doubt Jim Schlossnagel and TCU. Obviously, to not a lot of people expected them to get back to Omaha last year, given such a the young team that they had. And obviously, you bring all those guys back, with the exception of of Baker, who is injured. Then, yeah, certainly. I mean, I I think they have as good a chance as anybody, but. I, to me, I, I like Virginia in that regional. Uh, another question I wanted to ask you guys, since I've taken over this podcast because I'm an ass. Um, <laughs> super regional matchups that intrigue. Um, I'll just go from the left side of the bracket and then to the right. Like the Oregon State, no, no matter who they were going to be matched up with, they're 49 and stinking four. So we were going to pick them probably going all the way through here anyway. Yeah. Agree or disagree, Oregon State got a pretty easy regional. They agree. Did, absolutely. Agree, yes. 100%. And they're super regional. They're matched up with, I don't know if Clemson was 16, but it sure sounds like it. I mean, Vanderbilt's a borderline 2-3. I understand why they got a 2. St. John's kind of uh, where they were officially last four in, right? Yes. No, no they weren't. No, they, they were not last four in. Um, UNC Greensboro, again, very offensive team. I've conflated them in my own head with Tennessee Tech, apparently, so that's a problem for them. Uh, feels like Oregon State does not have a real barrier I mean, no, and they shouldn't. I mean, they're the number one right. national seed. They got what they deserve. As if you're going to make them the number one national seed, this is this is what you'd hope that. I, this is what I would hope that a number one national seed's path to Omaha would look like. It's just not a huge uh, like a matchup problem in their way. No, I mean like. even no. I mean even when Clemson and Vanderbilt are firing on all cylinders, and maybe they are able to get there this week. Uh, I mean, they still have to cross the country and play in Corvallis, where Oregon State is basically unbeatable. Yep. Yeah, um, it's they're they're going to Omaha, as far as I'm concerned. Barring a well, now I'm jinxing it, but I, I think they're going to Omaha. It is unfortunate, I think unavoidable, but unfortunate that Oregon State and Stanford are the one and the eight national seeds. So if they played the Pac-12, if they both got to Omaha. The two Pac-12 teams would be in the same bracket and play each other. So I know the West Coast fans will say that. I'm just um, letting them know. I agree with them on this one. Um, I think it's unavoidable. I don't know how Stanford uh, would – I don't think Stanford could be higher than eight um, with the way their season played out. I do think it's weird that Stanford and Texas could play again. It feels like Stanford and Fullerton play all the time, but Stanford and – so they're still in the same regional. 
and you could have an all Big West uh, super if Long Beach State and Fullerton were to win out here. But that would I guess, be fun. I, that yeah. would be fun. But I guess this is just the West. But th- this is a, one of the more intriguing super regional pairings, Beach and, and uh, Stanford. I'm going to guess that they almost never recruit the same players <laughs> because the <laughs> academics are very different <laughs> at Stanford and Long Beach State. And Texas and UCLA, you know, both teams that have won national championships in the last – in this century anyway – um, those are pretty interesting. Those eight teams are very – they fascinate me. That, that's a really interesting pairing. All those teams are. Go yeah, ahead. I mean, to me, I had a really hard time just going through making my preliminary round of picks. I had a hard time picking two teams out of those eight teams. I think that's one of the more fascinating portions of this bracket because, you know, you can make a case for a lot of teams right. of those eight teams. You know, Cal State Fullerton with its pitching, how well it pitches, that's really dangerous in a, in a short series. You know, Texas, obviously, the way it's played down the stretch, right. especially in the Big 12 tournament. UCLA, I mean, if you have Griffin Canning at the front of your rotation, you're going to be dangerous. And then, obviously, Stanford and Long Beach State, you know, them being the number one seeds in, in both of those regionals, obviously, they have a, a case. So, I, I think uh, I think that's going to be a, probably the most fun uh, bracket or most fun, you know, portion of the bracket to look at and to watch. I'm all in on Stanford. I don't think anybody's surprised by that. Um, I'm a Stanford person. I'm a Stanford fan uh, of their program. Um, they're doing it with kind of mirrors, smoke and mirrors on the mound, and then let's use Colton Hawk as not judiciously as possible. Colton Hawk gets used a lot as well um, in their in moments of truth. But Teddy, you've been driving the beach train for a long time. We did see them early at North Carolina. I think you saw them beat in North Carolina. I saw them lose on Sunday. I wasn't there. Oh, you didn't see it. <laughs> Kyle was there, I know. Kyle this, uh, every every team like that this year that's come through North Carolina, I, I've not I've not been here for. But you missed the beach. <laughs> but you've been on the beach anyway. You had them as a super regional team last year at the end of uh, in your eight for Omaha. I had them in eight for Omaha. You had them in the eight, so they're trending in the right direction for you. Um, what made you get on them then? And I'm going to guess you're not going to pick up against them now, are you? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not bailing on them. That's for sure. But no bailing on the beach. I uh, just wanted to say beach. <laughs> what first attracted me to beach a year ago was, I mean, just on, when, when you look at the the way the last few years of the NCAA tournament has gone, the Big West has put a team in Omaha three straight years, and it's been a different team every time. And so I was kind of looking for a Big West team like that. And, um, you know, I mean, you, you can talk about Fullerton all we want, and, and, you know, the rotation there is impressive. But the way Beach finished last year, getting into a regional, uh, you know, Blair Field starting its reconstruction, I just felt like the program had a lot of momentum. And at the time, I thought they were going to get Chris Mathewson back. He ends up signing with the Dodgers, uh, and that, that took away uh, their Friday night starter. But you know, they still returned Darren McGawkin, and, and he was the Big West Pitcher of the Year last year. Really impressive again this year. He probably will be Big West Pitcher uh, of the Year again. Um, and, and, you know, it, it starts with that, and, and it's a very experienced lineup. I just think they're a solid team top to bottom. Troy Buckley really has them playing very well, and they dominated the Big West this year. And the Big they West – totally dominated. It was, a, it was no contest. To the extent that Oregon State dominated the Pac-12, like that's how much Long Beach dominated the Big West. And I, the Big West was not as good this year as we expected it to be or as it has been in the past. But it's still a solid conference in general. And, you know, to see a team do that to that conference, I thought was very impressive. And, um, you know, I think the Dirtbags are, are, are going into the, the tournament – playing very good baseball. They're coming off of a, a really nice series win against Fullerton 
which obviously is an emotional rivalry for, for both of those teams. And, um, you know, I, I think they're going to go into this regional um, feeling pretty good about themselves. I think the draw is a little tough. It's um, a tough draw. UCLA and Texas can both pitch a lot. And, uh, you know, it's going to be low-scoring games there at Blair, uh, which is what you would figure anyway. But with those – with all the pitching that's there, there are not going to be very many runs scored this weekend. I, I like this matchup for Texas because they're they go from their own pitcher's ballpark, which is turf, but obviously I know they brought the fences in. Texas at forty eight hundred brought the fences in at Blair, right? And I I think Texas is used to playing in these kind of parks. They hit forty eight home runs this year. They have more than one power guy. It's not just uh, whichever Clemens. I forget which Clemens. It's Cody and Casey. I, I, you know, I can just use the internet and look that up. It's Casey with 11 home runs. I, I think Texas is very well suited to win this regional, but they could just as easily go 0 and 2. But I think Stanford. Yeah, from I mean, because if you uh, if you see Cannon in Game One, I mean, I you know he's going to match up with a very good Texas arm, whether they throw Kim or yep. Cooper. Um, you know, they're, he's going to have his hands full. But Texas easily could lose that game, and, and you know, I mean, any of the. Either UCLA or Texas could be two and out here, or they could go on and, and win the regional and plausibly win the super regional. They both have the pitching for that. All right, Teddy, I feel like we've already talked about Florida State's regional a lot, <laughs> so uh, which I've misidentified teams within throughout. Um, are we both picking the Seminoles, or are you picking Auburn? Uh, man. That's a tough one. But. I uh, might be inclined to take Auburn. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how I feel as the, as the week plays out. I, I think either one of those teams – and I don't want to discount UCF either. I mean, the yeah. way the way uh, they finished the season was was very solid. Greg Lovelady has them playing really, really well. It's an experienced team. It's not a team with postseason experience, but it's an older team. It's a coach with postseason experience. Yes, um, and a guy that gets to regional finals. He's he's been to back to back regional finals. Uh, that, I, I do think that's a tougher regional in Tallahassee. But I'll tell you, Tennessee. I mean, Texas Tech for being a national seed and being isolated geographically, they got a pretty difficult draw. I feel like. Arizona is a legit two, you know, obviously the national runner-up. And uh, I think we all have a lot of respect for Arizona. Sam Houston State, regional team last year, 41 team. It's when they're kind of back-to-back 41 seasons. I mean, I think Sam Houston State is properly seated as a three. But that's a good team. And that's not a uh, – everyone knows Matt Degg's program is a quality program. He's probably going to be a big, a big Ten head coach someday soon. I mean, Big 12 head coach, I should say. Um, and then Delaware, it's their first time, I think. They've been to regional since Kevin Bench was there. I know it's the first time. It's been America a long East. time. When I got to Baseball America, Delaware was like one of these Northeast powers. And Kevin Bench had this monster 1998 season where we talked about him being college player of the year. And thank God we didn't name Kevin Bench. <laughs> but I believe he had like a size eight and a half dome, by the way. Um <laughs> But Delaware's hot. I mean, they, they're properly ranked as a four seed, but that's a pretty offensive club. I feel like Texas Tech, for being the fifth national seed, got one of the tougher regional draws of a national seed. I think Stanford's a little tougher, but this one's pretty good. Yeah, I thought that um, you know sending Arizona to Texas Tech or to TCU made sense geographically, but I thought that the committee might evaluate them as being a better two than what a national seed should get. Now, clearly, the committee did not think about it in terms like that because Virginia is a two seed right. for a national seed. But yeah, the, Arizona's a tough team. And although Texas Tech did absolutely blast Arizona in Lubbock already this year in a midweek, um, but they're going to have to, you know, Arizona, what we saw last year from them, 
uh, you know, from from Jay Johnson's team is that you know, they really know how to play in the postseason. They're mm-hmm. not going to be intimidated no matter where they're going. It doesn't matter that they, you know, lost this game in Lubbock already. You know, they went into Starkville a year ago. They went into Lafayette a year ago, and we're not concerned about those environments. But Texas Tech is really hard to play in Lubbock. Um, the that's a team you have seen. I, I have, and they. Uh, I saw them in Lubbock, and you know they. The, that place is going to be rocking uh, all weekend, um, and I, I think that it's just going to be very difficult for any of these teams to beat Texas Tech there. Although, like you mentioned, it is not an easy draw for the Red Raiders. No, I don't think so. I, I still think that you favor the Red Raiders to get to Omaha for the third time in four years. I'll just say it again. I've said it before. I just think what Tim Tadlock has done out there is almost incomprehensible that we're sitting here talking about Texas Tech being an Omaha regular. This just, I would say it came out of nowhere, but this is just really hard to fathom. This is not a program with a ton of history. And he's made it, he's made it a national power in short order. And I just, I feel like he's just, even though we talk about it, I feel like he's one of the most underrated coaches in the country. I mean, he just, he's just fantastic. So track record is what the track record is. So uh, the gumbo sub-regional down there in the bottom left-hand corner uh, Teddy, I, mean, I, I guess I should call it the crawfish corner. Um, Southern Miss, Mississippi State, South Alabama, Illinois, Chicago. You pegged this one last night. And I guess people thought this would not happen because South Alabama and Mississippi State have played so often. They, they've year. all played each other. I guess South Al's played Mississippi State four times. And I know that um, Southern Miss has played both South Al and Mississippi State in uh, uh, midweeks. But... Geographically, it just made too much sense not for this to happen, and it's going to be a very lively regional. How does South Alabama only get a three seed? How is it not a two? Because it seems like it had a two resume. I mean, first place in the Sun Belt or second place in regular season? Second, second place, place to Coastal. And won the conference tournament, won the Fun Belt, one and done tournament, uh, which was a disaster. Um,. Am I this wrong? is yeah. I don't know. This is one spot where RPI is not the answer. They have they're right. number thirty in RPI. I'm not quite sure. Um, I had them as a three last night, obviously. So let me try and remember what I was thinking at the time. They have a win over LSU at LSU. Um, you know, you know I, I think the issue is basically that they have eight top 100 wins. They yeah, lost the series to Coastal. They lost the series to ULL. Uh, if I remember correctly, they. Um, I'm not sure they have a, a great series win on their resume at all. Um, that's maybe a little more granular than, uh, I mean, they lost at Baylor. Maybe, maybe this is a little more granular than, than it needs to be. 31-3 um, and three against the 101-200 to 200 plus. That, that probably is really it. Yeah. I, I, I think it's just the matter of them not having big-time series wins and, or, or many top 100 wins at all. I had, that probably makes sense, uh, but like I said, the R, I followed the RPI on this one, and, and had a high conference finish, won their conference tournament, and a pretty decent conference, even though it only got one bid, um, which I think that was one that we talked about last week, but feels like the Sun Belt has enough good programs to be a two-bid league, but Coastal and Lafayette just had a couple too many losses, basically. Yeah. They didn't have enough wins. It should be a... It should be a multi-bid league. I, I think we may have even had it as three coming into the year. I know it was, we had it at least as two because we had Coastal and Lafayette both in the top 15. And you have two, th- three top 60 RPIs. Yeah. But two of those are 58 and 59. So it didn't feel like that helped. 
No. And you have some, and you have some rock bottom teams, and you have Louisiana, Louisiana Monroe, which is making a coaching change. The Sun Belt is such a weird. It's conference. an amalgam. It's an amalgam for sure. It, it, it's it's a conference that I think is still trying to feel itself out a little bit. Check back in a few years, and maybe some of these teams will have committed a little bit more. Or, you know, some of them have, like you mentioned, Lamont has going through a coaching change right now. App State a year ago. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe some of these programs, uh, Troy, not that long ago either. Maybe they'll, they'll be able to coalesce a little bit more and, and get this conference to where it seemingly should be when you have Coastal and Louisiana Lafayette anchoring it. Yeah. And then programs like South Allen, Georgia Southern. It feels like this is a good baseball conference, but it wasn't reflected this year. And, and getting one bid did not, does not reflect that. LSU, you just saw them run through the SEC tournament. They've got Southeastern Louisiana Rice and Texas Southern there. That feels like a not necessarily a walk, but that's know, that's tailor made for the Tigers. It is. It is a. I think they're going to G E A U X on to the second <laughs> round. Um, and I, I, I like them in, in any of those SEC, any of those uh, super regional matchups. Feels like Southern Miss is the more dangerous one, or Mississippi State for you in that, in that matchup. In a series, I, I guess in a super, I can see it as Mississippi State um, because they have enough pitching to win a super. Um, There's certainly emotional. That would be an emotional series, Mississippi State LSU for a, 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 a shot at Omaha. I, I think everyone in college baseball wants that. That would be lit. Um, Southern Miss doesn't want that, I guess. And South Al doesn't want that. Illinois, sure Chicago State doesn't want that. that. They just got swept by LSU like two weeks ago. I, I think they'd like another shot at it. And I don't know. Sure. I. Certainly, every neutral observer should want that. Just the storylines of uh, of that would be fantastic. Maybe. But um, you know, Southern Miss trying to get to Omaha would be be pretty cool as well. The, the way that that program has been built, uh, what Scott Barry has done there, the season they're having. Uh, either one of them is going to be tough for LSU. Neither one of them has the pitching to match. Right. So they're both going to have to figure out a way to beat Lane and Poche, uh, which right now the way Lane is pitching, that's not not easy. No. Um, closer to here, uh, I will probably be at the Chapel Hill Regional. Uh, North Carolina, again, uh, last time they hosted, they got a number two from Florida. with Florida Atlantic, which they kind of beat in a miracle in the end of that regional. Uh, this time it's Florida Gulf Coast, then Michigan. They get twos from Florida a lot. Yeah. They had FIU up here in 11. I don't know if that was their two or their three. I think that was their three. They did have that happen. They've had, they've had some strange. They don't usually get an SEC team until Super Regionals. They don't usually get one of their two seed in Regionals, uh, which is strange. Um, as a number two national seed, is that an easy regional, hard regional, middle of the road? It doesn't feel like super easy because Florida Gulf Coast certainly flashed it. But once they got to Atlantic Sun play, they certainly didn't dominate. And, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good team, but not a great team. Michigan feels like it's a good team, not a great team. Yeah, that's another place where I think I would flip the two and the three. Um, and, I, no, I don't think it's the easiest regional you'll see out there, but it's also not the hardest. Um, Michigan's probably going to have to throw Jasky against FGCU and – after that, um, they rotate. They, they have pitching beyond that, but that's really the guy that, that stands out for them. Um, but Michigan is is capable of winning uh, on the road. They've they've done that a lot. Uh, and, and Gulf Coast, like you mentioned, obviously flashed pretty significantly. Uh, but also now, when we look back at the teams that were doing it at the time, they were not as good as we thought they were. Right. Um, so they've got. It, 
it's going to be interesting. I mean, the, you've got two first-time regional teams um, here in Davidson and Gulf Coast, their, their first times. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that, that makes it kind of fun. Uh, but I would not be surprised if we if we saw a bit of a blue blood regional final with uh, UNC and Michigan. You know, Davidson played at North Carolina early in May. Um, it was May 9th. And Davidson hit four home runs in that game. Their starting pitcher no hit North Carolina for five and two thirds innings. Uh, Josh Hudson, but he walked eight. So <laughs> that's how that went. <laughs> North Carolina had to score three in the ninth and one in the tenth to win that game. So. I do wonder if North Carolina, they used Tyler Baum in that game and Rodney Hutchison. I, I wonder if North Carolina will use J.B. Bukowskis in that game because Davidson is offensive. So um, that's a weird one. That's a weird one. Davidson has 70 home runs. Will Robertson has 18 home runs. Brian Fortier has 15 home runs. Davidson actually has some juice. Maybe so. they throw a bomb again. I mean, I, they won't, I guess, because he threw yesterday, but um, he did throw pretty well in the, the he's their the number starter. three starter right now for sure um i'm not sure how they'll do it um i, I don't know if they know how, how they're gonna do it uh but mike has returned so i'm gonna put you right on the spot mike awesome the houston baylor a&m iowa region we've talked about how Iowa's a dangerous four there mm-hmm. um but houston was your omaha sleeper as you reminded me several times on twitter <laughs> Sota voce you know you've whispered it i've reminded everyone often. yes yes um Still picking Houston to win this regional, even though that tough draw. Of course, A&M and Baylor have both been pretty schizophrenic this year. Yeah. And the negative connotation, the negative not accurate uh, definition of the word schizophrenic, so I shouldn't use that word. They've both been a little Jekyll and Heidi. They've had some very good moments <laughs> and some very bad moments. Yeah, I, I just think, I mean, and really they all have in some ways, but I, I just think Houston, the way that they finished the year, the way they finished the regular season, and even though a lot's been made of the fact that they don't have Seth Romero, I, st- I still think they have enough pitching to get through it. I think they have they really haven't been affected by that all that much. I, I just think they're, of that group, they're the most complete team, just on, on both sides of the ball, and you know, to me, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about them getting to Omaha necessarily, just because they are paired with North Carolina. Obviously, the number two overall seed. I, I would, I would still give UNC the edge should they meet in the Super Regional. But yeah, Houston to me is still the team to beat in that Houston Regional. Ted, you got any, uh, you got any fire on that regional? No, I think it's interesting. Um, I also think it's a little unfortunate that we have three teams from the city of Houston in a regional, and two of them are in Baton Rouge instead of in Houston. <laughs> yeah, that is a weird one, and they're all in different conferences. So yeah, they all it could have could have it was all there for it. This is always one that they talk about. I talked about this with Dick Cook yesterday because um, it's his first regional, and he was really curious where they would get sent. And one of the things they talk about uh, in past calls, uh, committee chairman is the experience for the student athlete. We don't want to keep on sending them to the same place. And maybe that's why they decided to put Rice and Texas Southern on the road. Um, maybe it's because they didn't have other teams they wanted to seed in. You know, in Louisiana, at-large teams, they couldn't send to LSU. But that struck me as odd to have uh, Houston as a host and other two Houston-based schools sent, sent on the road. Uh, but I am picking Houston as well there. I don't know if you have a Baylor or a&M upset bid there, Teddy, or are you waiting to see? I could see A&M pulling that out. I, I see no reason why why they couldn't do it. Um, Houston plays really well at home, though. That it, that is one thing. Like if you if you go look at if you go look at it, they don't play very well on the road. What they do is they play very well at home. But they've already lost a series to Baylor this year. That was in Waco, but they lost a series to Baylor this year. 
and uh, A&M's dangerous with, with Hill and Martin. No question A&M is dangerous. This is the most dangerous super regional matchup coming up. Is, is there anyone who's going to pick against a Kentucky versus Louisville super? I mean, are they just going to move down to the AAA stadium so they can have more seats? <laughs> I mean, this is just, uh, should they just move it to Cincinnati and put it in the Great American Ballpark so they can fill up a major league stadium with this rivalry? This just feels like the, the, the committee could not resist. And who's most likely to spoil this, Mike? To me, I, I have this gut feeling about NC State. I think they have a chance. I assumed you were going to go Googans and say Xavier, but you did not. No, I didn't. I, I think I, I feel okay about Louisville in that regional. I, I, I feel good about Louisville advancing to Supers. But, you know, Kentucky, you know, somewhat from a, a pitching standpoint, struggled a little bit of late, um, as has NC State pretty much the majority of the year. <laughs> yes. But, <laughs> but crazy I think, about. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, yeah, for me it's more just a gut thing here, just the way they've been playing. Uh, of late and just I, I think it's going to be an offensive showdown of sorts and those can really go either way I mean Kentucky's still I think I'm clearly the best team in that in that regional but I just wouldn't be surprised if NC State you know a dangerous number three seed here I think in this regional I do think they're a dangerous number three seed I don't I don't see any way that Louisville and Kentucky don't match not, not, anyway and they're prohibitive favorites in both their regionals Teddy yeah, I think uh, Kentucky's regional is easier. I uh, I think I'd rather deal with State and Indiana than Xavier and Oklahoma. Um, like, I know Oklahoma's had a bad couple weeks here in Bedlam and, and uh, the Big 12 tournament, but that team, when it gets going, you know, it, it can beat anyone in the country. And uh, I think Louisville's going to have to watch out for them. And, you know, Xavier is very experienced. We've seen it. In the last couple of years, when when they get into the tournament, they mm-hmm. usually find a way to win some games there, and um, so I think Louisville's going to have a bit harder of a time here. Uh, Kentucky regional maybe is a little more open. Kentucky's not as good as Louisville, I don't think, but um, I, I do like their chances against uh, NC State and in, in, in Indiana. The, the one thing I'll say about Louisville though too is they are really tough to beat at home. I mean, obviously Florida State won and beat them at home, but. I was only the, the first ACC team to do that since they joined the ACC. So in terms of just their proficiency at home, I mean, it, it's going to be tough for any team, I think, to knock them off. And I think it's a, a team, too, that's going to have a serious chip on its shoulder after the last two years. And they'll probably there'll probably be some relief in Louisville, too, that they don't have to see a Big West team yeah. at any point out there after uh, UC Santa Barbara walked off against them. Of course, the the famous or infamous, depending on which side you're on, Sam Cohen, uh, Grand Slam. Come on, what is it called? The uh, Gaucho Grande. Thank you. Of course. Hashtag Gaucho Grande. Hashtag Gaucho Grande, um, which is also apparently something new at Taco Bell that you can order. And then... It's got a crunch wrap around it. it. Yeah, of course. Is this real? No. No, it's not. (laughs) And then the the year before, uh, Fullerton did the same, not the same exact thing, but they, they beat Louisville as well. To Sound go to home, home run, run. Grande, which yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was close. It was close. I mean, really, I mean, that happened at the top of the inning. They had, they could have come back and won. They ended on a, a ended the game on a caught stealing. I was, told, I was told by an ACC official this year that, uh, that it's very close to having instant replay in the ACC next year for foul balls, home runs, all that kind of Wait, thing. Wait, do they not have that now? No, not in, regu- not in conference games. What is the ACC doing? Well, they want the games to not last four, four hours, Teddy, and this is all driven by Dan McDonald the last two years because of that home run. 
And I just more you show me a league that uses replay well, and that'll be the first one. None of them use re- replay well. Not to make the but game. But if you have better. the the NCAA gave them the ability, if you have the games on TV, you can use replay. Every ACC game is on TV because right. of the ACC digital network. What are you doing? Not using it. You don't want the game to last four hours. They already last too long. Replay does not make the game better to watch in person or quicker. No, but the number of plays that they're allowed to replay is so minimal that it hardly ever comes into play. I'm against you on this one. I will always remain against you. Replay, we've tried it. It doesn't work. I'm going to get it. I do not want it. College baseball sport already takes too long. But that said, like you said, Louisville had a chance to win after that. Still didn't, uh, still didn't do it. I do. I'm eagerly anticipating that super regional. A Louisville, Kentucky super regional will be a bluegrass super. Will be the one that will be in the prime time slot all the time on ESPN. Um, before we talk about how TCU's regional is kind of tough, TCU slated up against Arkansas. That Arkansas regional, um, all those teams in them, they recruit against each other. They're in the same geographic footprint. Uh, I bet all those players know each other. We just had Arkansas, and Missouri State, and supers two years ago. So there's a little rivalry there. I feel like Missouri State's. I wouldn't say comically overseeded, but I don't see how on earth they're a they're a two seed. Forty um, wins. That's it. That's the only <laughs> way. Their case is very similar to me to St. John's. I guess they won their conference regular season as opposed to uh, St. John's was didn't by percentage points. Um, <laughs> and I guess TCU, like Dallas Baptist, is like yeah, you sent Rice and these other teams out of Houston, but DBU they're always going to be in a regional at Texas Christian unless they host a regional. So. Um, but I, I think Virginia, Missouri State, Oklahoma State, all those teams could, uh, could could cause some upsets here, guys. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State, especially, even though the record doesn't say a lot. I mean, No, no Thoreau this year. No, uh, no, no Colin Thoreau Colin this year, Thoreau. and no no dinosaur. No Eutropolis. Uh, Eutropolis. The Eutropolis dinosaur they had in their dugout. They might have something else in their dugout for all I know. But, you know, I will say, obviously, the Cowboys have gotten hot of late this is around the time they got hot last year as well and went on a roll I think I mean this team is obviously a much different team from last year's team with what they lost I would still think I still have Arkansas coming out of this regional but you know I wouldn't be terribly surprised if Oklahoma State went on a run they were a team all year we're kind of waiting for them to go on that run and they never did and then you know maybe the run starts now I don't know uh but they're they're not a team that that lacks talent just a team that that lost a lot of leadership from a year before Tell you, what, what's your what's your take kind of on the the Wahoos? Are they gonna? I mean, are they the favorite at TCU without Baker? No, they can't be the favorite. I mean, you're talking about going into Lupton and winning. I mean, we, we've talked about how difficult it is to win in, in some of these places like Lubbock and, and Louisville and, and, and Fort Worth is just as hard. Um, Twenty three so, and four for TCU at home. That's that's robust. I I will take TCU. I. I still think TCU is one of the eight best teams in the country, and I think they're clearly that way. Um, Virginia has not really tested itself on the road very often and hasn't really done very well when they have. So, no, I, I, I mean, they have the ability to go win that regional, sure, but I, I definitely think it's TCU's regional to lose. Yeah, the, t- the wins on the road for uh, Virginia are at Georgia Tech, at Virginia Tech, at Florida State. Uh, lost series on the road at North Carolina and at Clemson, and, of course, in a non-conference one game at Citadel uh, and one at G-Dub. George Washington, not quite the same caliber as TCU. I guess I still have that Lake Elsinore regional on the brain with them. And, and really, I mean, the guys who are freshmen on that team that year are the juniors this year and the, the leaders on the team. So 
Um, I don't see Nathan Kirby walking through that door. He's he's not. Noah Murdoch is the one walking through the door, and it's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. Yeah, so. well, they didn't really have Nathan Kirby though a couple of years ago either. He didn't come back until. I guess he. I guess that was a little later. I don't see Josh Spores walking through that <laughs> door. That, that's probably that's, more of that's a problem. Fair. That's more of a problem. But they do have Adam Hazley. I love that. I love the Rev. The yeah. Rev is a great is a great ball player, winning ball player. That Arkansas regional is going to be lit though. That that's a that's open. That's going to be like twelve thousand fans a night um, when Arkansas plays. Yeah, and probably not too empty when the other teams play because they should be able to travel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and all of those teams draw well at home. And they're going to be some home runs hit. Jake Berger and Spangenberg, uh, Spanberger. I'm sorry, Spanberger. It's, are a, hit. it's a burger burger clash. I don't know <laughs> how I didn't notice that until now. That's really exciting. <laughs> Two burgers going at it. It's a double burger. It's, it's a, a double, double burger. It's a double burger. That's that's wild. That's a McDouble right there. Uh, who was it who liked the jalapeno burgers for Oklahoma State last year? Buffett. Oh, uh, oh, I don't. Oh, the green chili burger. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, that. Well, that's that's a staple of uh, Albuquerque. Yeah. I'm trying to help Mike on the burgers. Don't 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 harsh on my no poor I just, memory here. Yeah, I just I was very confused for a second. But you no, were. Span burger versus burger. First um, green chili burger. Yeah, it's 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 gonna be wild. There's burgers everywhere. Um, more more. Mike has never been more excited more, on a podcast all year than the burgers. More burgers in this regional than a Five Guys. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should have said that earlier. Do, do they have what a burger in Arkansas? Oh, I does, bet does, they it, do. does it make it that they far pro- up? They probably do. Yeah. Because that, that that's a little more. If I'm if I'm Arkansas and I'm on the marketing side for Arkansas. <laughs> And I hope you're listening to this. I'm going all out as far as burgers. I'm selling Span burgers. Well, then I guess that might be an NCAA violation, potentially, if you're profiting off of, <laughs> off of his name. All right, then then more subtle. Just sell a lot of burgers, and people can connect the dots. Over here, you have your Biggers burgers. I mean, you get... You, you get Jack's a Biggers can, can play. He's got a great name. He does. He really does. Jack's Biggers. I think he's uh, Jedediah Springfield's favorite player. A noble spirit embiggens the, the smallest man. Simpsons reference of the day. Um, I like that team. I like Arkansas's team. They've got a great one. I, again, it doesn't feel like a team, Teddy, that you want to – no team wants to fall in the loser's bracket, but pitching depth is in their bailiwick. But nine Stefan, one-two punch, again, they're kind of like – they're like Auburn that can hit is what they are, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, a decent um... – a decent comp, and I mean Knight and Stefan are are going to be in very difficult to beat uh, for no matter who, no matter when they throw them. I, I don't know how exactly they'll they'll decide to line them up. Uh, that that's going to be a bit of a decision, I think. But you know, those two guys can pitch, and in that stadium, well, in any stadium, they they can hit home runs, and in that stadium particularly, they mash the ball. They do mash the ball. I think they're going to mash their way to uh, to super regionals. Um, but, again, Arkansas two years ago got to host a Super Regional, even though they were a lower seed and, and Missouri State was a national seed, but Missouri State couldn't host because of the double-A team. Wouldn't shock me if Arkansas got to host a Super Regional this year against Virginia. That's all I'm saying. Wouldn't shock me at all. Uh, last but not least, the Lanana Regional in Winston-Salem and Wake Forest, West Virginia, two of your favorite teams, and then uh, the, the Cahill Regional. Uh, with Florida, South Florida, two of your favorites, uh, Sully and Coach Kingston, a couple of ACC players from 25 years ago, and Bethune-Cookman, a stunning three-seed. Bethune-Cookman and Yale pushed up from the four-line to the three-line. Um, is there any way Florida doesn't get to Omaha here, Mike? I mean, 
I don't even I don't think Florida's a good matchup for Wake Forest. I think Florida, no. Wake Forest needed to go to one of these. You know, they needed to play Arkansas in a super, or uh, or even TCU, which is a good pitching team, but not as dominant on the mound. I don't think as Florida is. Yeah, no, I I don't see. I see Wake coming out of that regional, although I think it is going to be a tightly contested regional because, like you said, I do like West Virginia. I think they're a really scrappy team, and I think they would play well in that ballpark. And obviously Maryland has a lot of familiarity with with Wake given the the ACC connection there. And Maryland has uh, some familiarity with winning regionals and going to Supers. They've done it two out of the last three years, correct? Two out of three previous seasons. So as a team that's also played well on the road in regionals when they've been forced to go on the road. Yeah, so... Uh, but I do, I do see Wake. Wake is my pick to come out of that regional, just because they play so well at home and so well in that ballpark. They're really tough to beat there. But I do think it feels like Gavin Sheets has like a hundred home runs at home. You know, I, know I think not literally that many, but it feels I, like. It. I think it's close to that. I think it's close to one hundred. But yeah, I think Florida, Florida's going to Omaha. I, as much as I've been on Wake Forest this year, I think it's just tough to go to Gainesville, face that pitching staff, and be able to produce, especially with the way Florida's hitting now too. I, I just I, I think I would be surprised if Florida didn't get to Omaha again. The other issue for Wake Forest, and I know they think they can hit outside of Wake, that they don't think that it's a, a product of the ballpark, um, and they can show you the numbers that, that says that it's not. Uh, but McKeithen is not a hitter's park, and right. when they go down to Gainesville, if they have to go down to Gainesville, um, they're going to find a, a, a place that, that is not favorable to home runs at all. Um, and they're going to have to face the best rotation in the country. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know that Wake could have gotten a worse matchup here. Uh, I think there are matchups that if you well, they could have gotten Oregon State. They could have gotten Oregon State. This is true. <laughs> That's a good Outside one. of that, this was the worst possible matchup for them. And uh, you know, I, it, it'll be interesting to see who comes out of that regional. I, I, I think it is uh, pretty open. I, I think they do have to be considered the favorites there. Um, neither West Virginia nor Maryland closed particularly well, but if either one of them gets going this weekend, they both are certainly capable of winning a regional. Now I'm looking at the one time USF and Florida did play in the season, and uh, Florida had to score five, uh, seven runs in the last two innings to make it 15 to 10 final. They got housed, but that was a midweek. Yeah. I don't know how much you can take from that if you're. It was like the last Florida. midweek of the season um, for Florida too, and I don't know exactly. That. I know they were trying to. You know, shape up their pitching staff. They used Garrett Milchin, Nate and, Brown, yeah. Frank Rubio. I, as I recall, that was a straight bullpen. Tyler game. Dyson, it was. It was bullpen horrific. Um, but South Florida's legit. Uh, I do they think are. South Florida is uh, for reals. Uh, Kevin Merrill is definitely for real. Um, we love their recruiting class last year. Garrett Zeck and Shane McClanahan are two guys whose names stick out to me. And Zach says athletic is all get out, still learning to hit, but he does steal bags. And McClanahan's got a chance to be a number one pick next year, a first uh, a first round pick, and 104 strikeouts in 74 innings. Opponents at 185 against him, and he's left handed. They've I mean, got the pitching staff to go out and, and make some noise here with Phoenix Sanders and McClanahan. They have some great names on this team, also <laughs> by the way. With the, uh, Duke Stunkel, Junior. I love Duke. Duke Stunkel Junior. Is it Duke Stunkel Junior? I mean, like it is. Duke Stunkel really sounds like he's like one half of a of a tag team brother pair, like in some midwestern local wrestling circuit. You know, that, he does not sound like a baseball player with the name Duke Stunkel. That's a very specific. Uh, <laughs> it is. It was meant to be. Thing. Yeah, it's, it's Duke Stunkel, part of the Willamette. Oh, that's that's Oregon. Uh, 
I'm trying to think of a stupid, I don't know what River the Goes Kishwaukee, Through The Kishwaukee Killers, some kind of Wisconsin tag team. That was the JC I was trying to think of. <laughs> they also have a pitcher named Garrett Bye, B-Y-E, which is a, a great name for a pitcher. You know, you strike out a guy. He doesn't pitch very much, though. He doesn't, no. I don't think he pitches. So. No, he doesn't. I, I'm, 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 uh, I don't know how to pronounce Peter's last name. Strzelicki. Strzelicki. See, they have, they, they have a lot of Midwestern-sounding names. So. Coco Montez. I, I just like their team, but I do like this team. I, I do think they can give Florida some of a tussle. My, my question like is so playing so well. My question about South Florida has been the same for a long time now, and it's how do they play on the road? They did not play on the road at all during non-conference play in terms of weekends. Uh, and once they got into the American, uh, they lost to Tulane on the road. They lost to UConn on the road. They lost to UCF on the road. On the road. And they're now going to be going to play a very difficult road weekend. So we'll see how they handle that. Uh, but they do have the talent that they can make some things interesting in this regional. I do feel like Florida's offense has really you know, turned a corner They've got Guthrie back, theoretically, from his ankle injury. The, well, I don't know if the, if the elbow's you know, going to be good. The elbow seems to be fine. The ankle is the, the current worry. Right, but the, uh, maybe it helps him get the arm stronger. Because, I mean, the scouting reports on him are not good. A week off strength. is not the worst thing for him, I don't Correct. think. Correct. They get Mike Rivera. Mike Rivera's back. Mike Rivera's back. From the Hammond injury. Um, J.J. Schwartz has hit some at first base. D.H. Nelson Maldonado has hit a lot. Um they're, they're formidable. I feel like Florida is finally the team that we thought they would be. And watch them go out and go to a barbecue in the regional because we're sitting here praying for them so much. <laughs> I, I would not wish that on them. I'm just, I, do, I do wonder, um, you know, just I, I'm, I would like to see Florida playing its best as they go into postseason. I feel like it's the first time that's happened in a while. But you know, they've been to Omaha a lot in recent years. Um, so I, I feel like I'm being overly hard on them. I think that that does happen with them. I mean, they've earned that. But I, I think that we do look at them, and to a certain extent, LSU, through a different lens than we will look at a lot of teams. Right. Um, but both of those teams right now are the teams, that, the top five teams that we thought they would be coming into the year. Right. That's, that, that, I think that's correct. All right, Mike, uh, what's your what's your Caldwell Series pick? This is a good way for us to end a, a very long podcast. But I love, I love the long podcasts uh, with the Field of 64 coming out. To win the whole thing? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, I can't pick against Oregon State at, at this point. I, I really can't. Just having seen them and given what they've done, I know this is taking the easy way out, but I think they're the best team in the country, and I would feel better picking the best team in the country and not being right than just <laughs> going on a hunch with somebody else. So I'm picking Oregon State, and I bet I could also predict who Teddy's going to pick. <laughs> who are you picking, Teddy? Let me guess. Uh, Florida. Mike, uh, Mike Hensley. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to get off them now. I mean, we, we, I've been on them all year. I can go back longer than that if you want. But, um, you know, all season, I thought it was going to be them. Uh, Oregon State certainly is deserving of the number one national seed. They're certainly deserving of the number one ranking they've had for the last 10 weeks. Um, the record is 14 weeks, by the way. But they are on pace to set the all-time winning percentage record. Like, if they go 9-1... and one, or 10-1, I should say, in the postseason. It's going to be hard. you, you got to win 10 games to win the postseason. That's the minimum you got to win. But if they were to go 10-1, poor ejemplo, or even 10-2, I think I, ma- I mapped it out, they'd have the highest winning percentage of all time, which is the 1972 Arizona State team that did not win the national championship. The 75 Texas team is the highest winning percentage in a season by a national champion 
Oregon State's chasing that. I think it's 902, 903, somewhere in there. So they're chasing not just the national championship, but they're chasing history. Uh, that's what kind of team this is. It's, it's a hard team to pick against. It is, and I'll do it. <laughs> that's, where I was, that's where I was headed. Uh, I, you know, I wrote the column at the start of the year of uh, North Carolina and Oregon State being on the 10th anniversary of their last, of uh, their back-to-back uh, finals matchups. Uh, those two teams were gonna mat- could, could match up again. They were both, uh, you know, uh, in their minds, they were both left out of the tournament unjustly last year by those regional advisory committees. They certainly used that to fuel their uh, rise this season. Uh, I think if that happens, it'd be a, an unhappy repeat for North Carolina fans because I don't see anybody beating Oregon State. I think the O-State ball was, uh, look really formidable. So I, I'm right there with you, Mike. I, I just, you know, I don't see. I don't think it's that they haven't had a cold streak. I just think they have so many ways to win. And how often does the best team in the country get its ace back yeah. late in the season like they got with Drew Rasmussen and he's pumping some 98s? That's just crazy. It's crazy how good they are. It's, so, they're, they're ridiculously stacked. But then again, I they're mean... They're really good and they're really motivated. So I do think... I'm not knocking forward on that. I had that extra little motivation. I do like North Carolina's pitching staff shaping up with Baum pitching better toward the end of the year. They have a definitive three, and I, I like Austin Bergner in their bullpen a lot as an alternative to Josh Hyatt, a good bridge. I like him with Brett Daniels and, and Ronnie Hutchison. And they have the six or seven pitchers that you need. But so does Oregon State, and theirs are just better. I mean, they're just they're just better. Uh, I, I don't see a hole. I will, I will say that I think you and I know Teddy was on the same boat, but I think we had a, a similar view of Louisville last year. Correct. As, as far as how deep they were. You and I really did think that, and then they didn't make it. it. So that's the thing, is just you never know. Uh, but I do, I do really like Oregon State, and I don't necessarily see which team from the Clemson Regional, so they advanced to a Super, which team would knock them out. The only path I could really see, really, is if Vanderbilt were to win that Regional, and Kyle, they get Kyle Wright, and Kyle Wright shuts them down, right. and then it becomes just a one-game situation there. where A okay. one-game cluster? Yes. Yeah. I so. know um, this doesn't actually mean anything, but I think it's been since 2011 that the number one national seed has won a game in Omaha. Yeah. So... It's tough. It's, it's tough to... This is the hardest championship to yeah. win. I mean, first of all, you have to win 10 games at minimum in the postseason. That's crazy. Uh, Mike Rooney said this in the broadcast that they have the 64-team field announcement. He's right about this, too. You know, the basketball coaches complain about how hard it is to make their tournament, but they have another tournament in the NIT, and they have another tournament after that. The college baseball postseason is by far the most exclusive. Um, there are, what, 290-some teams? 299. 299 that play Division One baseball, and only 64 make it. That's hard. It is a high bar, and uh, this is a very hard tournament to get into, and it's a very hard tournament to win. Um, my other kind of, uh, I wouldn't say dark horses, I would say don't sleep uh, on LSU. Who's going to sleep on the SEC t- tournament champion? But Palmineri has taken a lot of teams to Omaha himself. He's won in Omaha. They haven't won in eight years. And that team is old. Exactly. If they're, I wasn't going to pick Florida, I would pick them. They're, like, full of, like, juniors – Seniors, fourth-year juniors, they're strong up the middle. I like I like their defense up the middle. Uh, Persky behind the plate, Freeman and Robertson at shortstop. I like their defense up the middle. Uh, the other team that's kind of impressed me, uh, that's not even a, a one seed in here. Um, I, I got uh, for, for me, Texas has been very good lately. I don't love their uh, Omaha matchup because they'd be in the Oregon State side of the bracket. Wouldn't shock me if Texas got to Omaha. Uh, David Pierce, the way they've been playing. I, I like their pitching depth. 
Um, that's also a team with a lot of juniors and seniors yeah. in the lineup. So I think on that same side, I think Fullerton has a shot too, just with the pitching. That yeah, we're picking have. we're picking blue blood programs as our sleepers. It's kind of hard to see. Is there a dark horse sleeper for you? And I, I do think St. John's can win a region. I have been smoked in the super by Oregon State, but you know that's why I, my sleeper picked to win a regional. But is there a deep sleeper that you can see getting Omaha, Teddy? Um. You know, if we want if we want to go off the away off the from red, the blue the bloods, um, you know, I, I know Michigan is kind of blue bloody. Um, if they could find a way to get out of Chapel Hill um, or Nebraska, if Nebraska could somehow escape Corvallis, I think either one of them <laughs> uh, could could pull this off uh, potentially. Um, I got love to say Sam Houston State, but I just don't see it. That's a really tough regional for them. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the the problem is that the best non-Blue Blood programs, for me, are all in impossible, re- what, what look yeah. like impossible regionals. Like, how is Xavier going to get out of Louisville? Right, exactly. Um, you know, I, it, it's going to be tough like that. But, you know, Southern Miss is not, if Southern Miss goes out and wins the national title, to us, it's going to look like, okay, this was a team that was good the whole time. Right. To the rest of the country. It's like Coastal Carolina yes. part two. You're a good call. That's a good call. Mike, you get a top, can you top that or not really? Uh, That's a good call. Yeah, I don't – it's – yeah, it's really hard to pick. I mean, I, I think West Virginia has a chance to make a run. I mean, it's they're obviously a Power 5 team, though. It's certainly not blue-bloody. No, I mean – First time in 21 years in the tournament. It's like yeah. camouflage. It's like camouflage blood. I think Digital they, camo. I think, yeah. I think they have a chance. But, again, even if they were to get out of the Wake Regional, they're playing Florida, so that's – so that's tough. I think that would be a wonderful contrast in styles, uniforms, hairstyles, yeah, everything. That would really be totally like Hatfields versus like I don't know what uh, Higginbotham's. I mean, like it would be very, very different. Yeah, um, he didn't like that. I didn't like that either. I I, I had a lukewarm reaction to it, uh, <laughs> you know. But I, I think uh, yeah, I could... it was no burger in Span Burger. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I could see, again, it's a, another Power 5 school. I just can't – I'm having a hard time, like Teddy said, a lot of the you know the non-Blue Bloods are really in, in tough regionals. But, I mean, I could see Auburn making a run too, honestly, um, even though they're a number three seed in the Florida State Regional. I, I just feel like those – that group of eight teams, I feel like that, that group is kind of wide open, so I could, I could see that there potentially. That's a long podcast. I hope we had uh, good parts to it, but I enjoyed it, guys. Thank you for letting me crash it to uh, talk college baseball, even though I, I don't talk it as intelligently as you guys do. Um, but, again, great job on the uh, Field of 64 predictions. And uh, so, Teddy, you're going to go to Lexington and Louisville, right? That is correct. Mike, we're still trying to decide where you're going for a regional. You think you're going to Clemson, don't you? Uh, that that's kind of what I'm thinking about now. Yeah, just just seeing how wide open it is. But we could just throw a, a, a dart at a at a map and just I'll just go there. I just always assume the Wake Forest Regional had Mike's name all over it. I I I might end up there too. We'll see. It's got Wake Virginia. It's got Wake Forest. It's got it all. Yeah. We only we just should obviously should send you to Fayetteville for Burger Burger. <laughs> that that no that would be exciting. That would be I would load up. I would load up on Burger Burger if only they had some fries there too. But they don't, so I'm sorry. Well, with that, uh, thank you to Mike. Thank you to John for joining us here. It's been another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. We'll be uh, coming back to you uh, next week uh, after all these regionals are done to uh, talk about the Supers. 
Uh, so thank you to Louisville Slugger uh, for sponsoring this and all college content at Baseball America. That's Louisville Slugger, power and numbers. Uh, thank you all for listening. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.